Pops is sick, the dog got his swagger back. If that shit go, nah, I ain't having that. But they don't want it, I'ma still grab the back. Think I give a fuck, I'ma get down, go hard type of nigga. Bring it to the yard type nigga. 76. Remember me, bitch? I'm that nigga out for life to be your enemy, bitch. Fucked around, got my weight up. Wait up, what up? Niggas getting ate up. Straight up, get the fuck. Come on, Bato. This is just not your day. Just stop trying to be macho. Alright, yo? You don't want to fight, yo? I guess my scrap for Put niggas' lights out. This is the Spirit Animal Podcast, the real George of the Jungle, and today we are presenting a special guest by the name of Nicole, owner of Lady Tis Exotics. It is an anticipated episode for tonight, as tonight we will be discussing lots of entrepreneur paths within the breeding business, as well as the discussion of animal lovers and some of the things that Lady Tis Exotics became or how Lady Tis Exotics came to be. Without further ado, Nicole, thank you so much for coming on tonight. How's it going? It is a pleasure. Sorry, I muted myself there for an accident. DMX is better. Let's see here. Elias is on the better show up tonight. <laughs> I um, bring Tree Python. Name is DMX. <laughs> Did you recently get that Green Tree Python? Um, I had him for a few. I had him for a few years now. We just recently um become best friends. We wasn't always best friends. <laughs> oh, okay. So you, that taming process is working then. Absolutely. We got somebody from uh, my favorite reptile podcast, Ray, Lady Tizzy. Ray doing double dose. I think um, we is live too right now too. Oh, nice. So watching a podcast within a podcast, that's a loop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to give a, a simple explanation why we, we wanted to bring you on. There's a, a, a kind of a, a thing going on with your logo, and I wanted to dive into that first. Is there some type of kundalini or meditation format that you incorporated into it? It is the womb. It's the, it's the woman's womb incorporated into my love and passion of reticulated pythons. So if you look at it, it's literally two reticulated pythons, but it shapes the top part of the, the womb, the, the tubes. And then it's the, of course, the uterus. And then, of course, the bottom part is the woman. <laughs> um, and then, the you know, the whole Afro, the Afrocentric part of being a black woman in the hobby. So it's, it's it, I wanted to come in. As a woman who, um, not necessarily professional, you know what I'm saying, but I didn't want to feel like I had to come into a, a, a man's forum attracting men with things other than my knowledge of the reptiles and what I've learned and breeding and, 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 and just raising up animals for 32 years. I wanted to come in on the merit of what I've done and what I've learned and engage and connect myself with intelligent people who knew more about breeding 
than I did. And so that was the goal. I didn't want to come in any other way. I wanted to be respected for who I am. That's the route to go. That's that's a, that's a respect for and that. That's that's what it is. That's that whole sh this power is the whole powerful is, is royal, the purple, all of that. Shout out to Vaughn Vaughn who helped me come up with my logo. I, all I did was told exactly what I wanted. I knew the image of what I wanted. That's what I needed the two big snakes coming like that. I needed the woman and her just taking my vision and putting it together. But yeah, it's it's very indicative of what I wanted to show. Wow. <laughs> That, that I can relate to that as well because our company's name is Ultimate Zen Reptiles and it's the Shiva, but I, without Shiva, I took out his emblem. So uh, Shiva is a representation of high enlightenment or the state of enlightenment in some point of his life. And I put him without his crown because I am no bigger than what I call God into my paraform. So I humbled myself and, and I said that I was maybe at the beginning stages of his life. So I can relate to you. It's very, you know, connected to us in our symbols. It's, 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 it's awesome. Who is the, the person who, who, uh, who made that logo for you? Her name is Vaughn Vaughn, um, Vaughn Guiding Designs. We're going to have to reach out to them. Shout out to Vaughn, Vaughn and Designs, you said? Vaughn Vaughn, uh, Vaughn Guiding Designs. Um, okay. I can have someone drop the link. Um, she's amazing. Um, she's done a, quite a bit of logos that's out there. She's humble, but a lot of people don't give her the credit for a lot that she's done for a lot of us. It's not just the logo she's done for me. Um, she does a lot of marketing materials for a lot of people in the reptile community, especially her sister. So I, I will always, um, she was a part of the whole Lady Tiz Exotic dream. So I will always appreciate that. We're gonna have to reach out to them because definitely we need a rebrand. You know, it's it's about that time again of year. <laughs> yeah, definitely we'll reach out. Well, well to begin with the the, the first uh, form of questions, I wanted to ask you about your routine. Do you happen to have any spiritual beliefs or that you incorporate into your morning routine? So I'm very spiritual. I was some would say religious, but I would say more spiritual because what people don't know about me is I, I as much as I am Christian, I am also a person who believes in um, Islam, um, one who submits to God. I am Muslim as well. I spent a lot of my time fully hijabed and everything. People don't know that about me unless you knew me all my life. Um, so I would say that I have a husband who gets out of bed every morning, who gets on the side of the bed, has never not done that for the entire time that I knew him, even before he was my husband and he prays for us. Um, that energy then touched me. And then I just, I'm a solid prayer. Um, and I'll just, you know, start my day off with prayer. And normally it starts off with the protection of my children and my grandchildren, because those are the two greatest things that you can really um unprotected it would hurt me you know like really really bad it's not much they can do that my kids and my um my grandkids are my, they me you know um and then i get up and um and this retired life is so different like i get to do what i want to do first do i want to cook breakfast you know do i want to do the animals first typically it's definitely i go to the rats first i want to make sure that they have water and then i go into the hatchlands and check on out all of them and then if i just choose to cook breakfast, I cook breakfast, and then I'll go do all my daily cleaning and everything, and then kind of rest, and then come back down and kind of do the cycle all over again, because it's necessary when you have big snakes. Absolutely. Any type of animal you want to keep a constant on. Yeah. Um, talking about animals, what animals do you currently breed or take form into your routine? Um, I only breed 
intentionally ball pythons. I, I have so many animals. I have tables, I have the water monitors, I have acne monitors, the, the green tree pythons, the birds, of course, my amazing reticulated pythons who, like I told you, bred themselves. Um, and I was just fortunate to be blessed by a killer clutch um, from my girl T'Challa. Um, I can tell you that Eventually, I will breed the tables. Um, I just want to master the ball python breeding process first because although I kept ball pythons first and for all, like, I'm 50, so 33 of years of 50, I've kept ball pythons. Um, I was a keeper, a super keeper. I never had any interest in genetics and breeding them. And unlike uh, with reticulated pythons, reticulated python genetics are so much easier because it's not so many stacked and stacked and stacked over the years. You literally have to study a lot of the ball python genetics. So until I feel like I've gotten to a point of building all of my uh, powerhouse animals and creating all of my pets that I want to create in my double and triple recessives, I don't think it would be probably like another six or seven years before I would venture to anything other than the ball pythons and then i did breed um i am currently breeding one um pair of ball constrictors and that's it see that's where the, you're saying that this time spent but if you think about it like i like to look at the end of points you know where like the journeys where you enjoy it so like if you're you're given six years to enjoy that that time span it's like Aren't you going to love that point where you those babies come and you see those babies actually flourish into that project that you were waiting oh, for? I That's going to be insane. Like, exactly. I, I had no idea. First of all, knock on wood, I have been truly, truly blessed. Um, you know, all of my mentors in this and all of my brothers in this who I talk to um, about genetics a lot, you know, shout out to the usual suspects. Um my biggest fear being a keeper my first year breeding was having animals not make it or die and oh, i've been blessed to not just have healthy animals but beautiful animals and i do believe though and i'll say to anybody my success comes from being a super keeper because i treat them animals like they are literally babies that i'm birthing and i know everybody feels the same way about their clutches and things like that but I was saying to Dre, I was boxing up his snake that I was shipping to him that he paid for, you know, so ain't no free snake. He paid for it. And I'm Let me hear that you're giving free snakes. <laughs> I am crying. And he, he I sent him the video because I sent every customer a video, letting them see me take the snake out there in closure, showing how they look and all of that, that it matches the genetics. I popped them on camera and stuff like that. And he goes, are you crying? <laughs> But the retics are particularly hard because I bonded with them immediately out the egg. Unlike the ball pythons, I can easily, like even posting them on Morph Market, it was like, okay, I'm putting this one up. I have yet to post all the retics. <laughs> <laughs> but see, you can tell that you love them. You know, you don't want to get rid of your grandbabies. No, Those are your grandbabies. I told Trey, I said, Look how it's looking at me. I mean, he was done. He was done with me, I'm sure. And then the next morning, I, the, I, I'm tracking the shit because I, I can't sleep. I, when I ship an animal, I can't sleep. And so mm -mm. it's there. My first customer literally beat me to, he beat the pathetic there. He was, yes. So <laughs> I looked at the track and it says she's 
available for pickup. I text Dre. I'm like, where are you? Wake up. He was like, damn, I'm trying to put my clothes on. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. It's funny. But I enjoy it. I really enjoy shipping it off. And like I told him, I sent the nice card. I knew he thought it was going to be something mean in there. But I just, I love the fact that I do have all my access to have people that I can trust with these animals. And, and my first few customers are definitely people who um, I can trust and even stalk their Instagrams and they're not upset about it. <laughs> oh, definitely you you always keep up i even have customers where I'm, i look through my text i'm like i'm gonna text this person today to see how my babies are doing because they're still your babies regardless if you sell them exactly. off you, know? you still, still have that feeling but I was saying, she's like oh, I, you know? animals from. I i i mm -hmm. keep them i let them know what's going on with their animals you know exactly my wife asked me she's you still talking to that person you know that's that's been months or that was been years ago and you're still talking to them i'm like yeah, yeah. i keep contacts and tabs to see how they're doing <laughs> when t'challa laid her eggs her the person the breeder jim jolly i purchased her from he was literally up with me all that night we text him back and forth he checking in and you know like we were we were here and he was there with me he was as excited and when he saw the babies even more excited because of course, because this is like the offsprings, the offsprings he's seeing even stuff that he didn't see before. So it was kind of cool. Definitely cool. It is. It is cool. It must be a good experience to actually make your baby snakes, you know, and then have the opportunity to let them go and take them shipped. That's yeah. got to be a good feeling. Do you have a spiritual belief that you connected with from the past or that you usually utilize, like Christianity or maybe some type of cult? I will consider myself very spiritual. What I do believe is that there's a higher power. I do believe there is a God. I do believe that um, we have accountability in this world. Um, I do believe that God knew that we were all going to be some screwed up people, and that's why He sacrificed His sacrificed His children, and that's why He also later sent the Prophet Muhammad to give us some rules to learn how to live this life. So I say all of that is that as much as I'm Christian, I'm very much Muslim as well. Salam alaikum. And I tell people that I had to study more. So when I became Muslim, my Wakil made me study more about Christianity than I did Islam because he knew that's what was embedded to me. And then to this day, no one says you have to be playing yourself one as an or another. Um, so if I'm praying for you and you believe in Christ, I'm going to say in Jesus' name. If I'm with a sister and she believes in there was one after Christ and he was the, the truth and the light, then we're going to pray in the name of the Prophet Muhammad. And I believe that you can do that and still touch people help people save their souls because at the end of the day we're all a muslim one who submits to god <laughs> bro said colt yes i did i said colt <laughs> <laughs> you know you never know there, 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 there are cults. i mean they might not call them cults but when you can get people to all want that's another thing like about one thing about church like everybody is not supposed to think the same exact way that's what it does become a cult when you get what people need to be able to challenge your thought process so if someone is going into 
a sanctuary and that let's i mean and they they're spiritual if you're truly spiritual something i say to you might trigger your spirit to say oh no, no nicole that's not right or that didn't make me feel good you have the right to say that hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's what that's right. It becomes a cult. So some people are in churches today don't realize they in cults. I mean, that's exactly. Jewism <laughs> so in, in some of the Islams as well, like they some of them practice kosher. Kosher is listen. September 11th would have never happened if 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 those people were following the word of the Prophet Muhammad. Okay, it would have never happened. Let me tell you why. There were women and children on that plane, on those planes. You can't murder children and women. You can't. They cannot defend themselves. That's the word. So even with that, you have fanatics, fanatics about everything. You know, there are some people who are very fanatical about um, politics. You have people who are fanatics about reptiles. You know, you can't have conversations with some reptile people. They're so fanatic. You know, they just... They can't hear anything else or learn anything new. Um, but I think that everything in life needs balance. And I do believe mm -hmm. that there's a lot of right in everybody and a lot of wrong in everybody. The problem for me is when they outweigh one, because you can't be perfect and you can't be all bad. Because I can't, me, my spirit can't function in that realm because I'm not perfect. It's a lot mm -hmm. of bad. I have a lot of history that got me to where I am today. <laughs> um, a lot of the knowledge that I speak about and a lot of things that I speak on today is because throughout those years, a lot of bad occurred, a lot of good lessons through that. And I wouldn't change anything that I've been through, but I also was wise enough to never look back and make those same mistakes. Like I'm never going to mm -hmm. stand in shit. I think you should always be moving out of a cleaning shoe. Clean yeah, absolutely. If you're not progressing or evolving in life, I don't know what you're doing in this world. You shouldn't have the, the given thought. I mean, have you ever thought about it? Like you, you, you're one percent out of trillions of, of possibilities of you being born. Like nobody yeah. stops to think that. Like that's it's not a given. Yeah. Life is not a given. Life is not a given. Was there a point or a switching point in, in your breeding business or keeping of animals where it became a catalyst and you saw it like become a business where you're like, oh, this is this is taking it somewhere or this is this is the day that this became the legend. So for me, it was always I've never felt with having a, a raising a son who was special needs and then my my biological daughter and then we adopted one of my son's friends when she was 12 so we raised her too and she lived with us up into 2018 and for me it was no way that i can keep it was always a dream i knew like if you ask any family member i knew i was going to be at some point be living the life that i'm living now what i didn't know it was going to be at the age of 49. it was projected to be at the age of 55. i used to tell everybody that even when i worked if whatever position and promotion I got and people would ask the question, what about your future? I will always tell them, just know I'm not going to be working here forever. My plan is not to work until 60 anything. I want to be still able to travel the world and be fine. Y'all got 55. And I used to always say that last year, um, my company um, had restructured. So they took my boss and, um, well, not just took her. Let me stop. I'm going to stop saying that. She had the opportunity to go to Florida. And so they took her 
opportunity and let her go to Florida. And I always told her, when you leave, right, I'm not working for nobody else. One thing about me, when I say things and, and, and when I start whispering and I'm not like loud and because that's my natural stuff. My deep self, the deep self, she's quiet. She's very, very methodical. And so I said to her, I said, okay. She got on a call. She told us I'm going to Florida. And I said, okay, hung up the phone. Everybody knew what that meant. That day, the next day I gave my notice. And that's when I decided I would just not necessarily just breathe, you know, just retire. I can't. I was positioned um, through partnerships to be able to do that where, you know, I didn't have to work. And so I took the opportunity to say, well, this is a great time in life for me to do this without adding a financial burden to my husband that can't be managed. And so I've decided to um, just take breeding in full, like full fledged. I wasn't, I started like, you know, like buying my animals for parents in 2019. Um, and I'm talking about separate from my, my pet animals. I always had those, but like my breeding animals. And then in 2022, I knew that definitely I wanted to do this as a business, but I still had the goal not to do it full time until 55. And then last year when that happened is when I said, okay, the time is now. And, that's and you're living the dream now. Yep. I get to literally, like, I, my husband, I was talking about this, like, I have to force myself to leave the house. I'm good with being right here. It's like where I always wanted to be. So, but, you know, you still need your vitamin D and stuff like that. So certain natural things that outside does for you. And so we still try to force ourselves to, you know, take me to the park. Let's go to the park. Let's go to the water. Um, taking the animals out back and stuff like that, we still get to do. But if it was up to me, I'd never hit the highway. I would never, you know, as far as going places of, other than like a vacation, I would never leave my house. <laughs> Well, that's that's good that you're living your dream as, as long as it's you're pursuing it and you continue. You know, I've seen a lot of traction from you, your podcast. What's your podcast name as well? So I have two. Uh, the first one I started was the one that I started um, uh, over a year and a half ago now was for a thousand cocktails. Um, and that was that comes on Saturday at 1 p.m. Um, this Saturday will be the first Saturday that it will, it won't be live. It'll be pre-recordings on Saturdays and we still will have our live podcast, which is me and Dre, uh, from the snake God on Mondays at 8 a.m. Uh, to keep in a podcast, which Vaughn Vaughn also designed that logo for that podcast as well, for two peas on a podcast. That's a nice one too. Thank you. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty, yeah, I mean, I need to talk to them about that. As a child, do you remember if you had any aspirations or did you wake up one day and say, I want to be a doctor or some type of uh You got all astronaut. the questions because people are hearing some of this stuff for the first time. My degree is in mortuary science. I actually, like, I went to a occupation school and my major was mortuary science. I started working in funeral homes when I was 14 years old. Um, I had been in funeral homes as a young kid because my uncle was a funeral director in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And so I always wanted to be a funeral director. And that's what I did until I started having children. 
Uh, my very first like real paying job was when I went away in college. I went to school in Washington, D.C. And I worked for a bacon funeral home. And that was the, I was 18 years old, making $76,000 a year, um, freelancing, doing bodies, making extra money on the side from doing bodies. Like, um, that was what I did. I did my, I, I actually involved my father. So that's your inspiration. You woke up one day and you said, I want to touch dead bodies for a living. So what happened was, it was this, when, when my uncle would do funerals, um, the funeral director had these daughters, and one of their names was Monica. And Monica one day pulled up, she was 16 years old, driving a big old hearse, and she was dressed really nice. She was really pretty. And I looked at my uncle, and I said, she's driving the dead body? He said, I said, that's what I wanted to do. And from that day, he started taking me into the funeral home and allowing me to understand the process of involvement. I went to school for it. That's what I went to college for. <laughs> so hear me out. I was in the process of getting my mortuary affairs process, my MOS with the army when okay. I was going to go in. And that was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to work with dead bodies and get my mortuary you know, license and have my own home to mortuary home to clean bodies and, pr and yeah. practice you know either to have because it, it wasn't just a thought just for me because i met my wife of a, a very young age she was a person to to have an eye or a keen eye for makeup and i always thought to myself if, if she could teach me that technique i can probably use that in my own home and you know have the whole business package at one end yeah well, if you really like even understand the process of embalming, like with my dad, my dad, he made us promise him that we would not put makeup on him when he died. So what I did was literally I moisturized his face with a regular moisturizer and put Vaseline and I rubbed Vaseline in my father's face for like an hour. We shipped him. He had two funerals. He died on March 31st. We had the first funeral on April 2nd, and we flew him to North Carolina, had the second funeral on April 3rd, and literally, I waited for my uncle to open up the casket after we got him from the airport to see what he looks like, and my uncle looked at me and was like, he looks so good, you know, as good as a, you know, he was like, he looks so good, and I felt so proud for two reasons. I held out another one of my father's wishes, no makeup, because he, he meant that. He said, don't you put no makeup on me. Uh, so we didn't put no makeup on him. But he also didn't look like a deceased man either. So I was proud of that. One of my proudest moments, actually. Actually, there's a picture that my mom had me standing next to my daddy's casket way back then. My dad died in 92 before taking pictures at funerals were, you know, a, a thing. Um, but we were in the funeral home before everybody else came in and I stood next to my dad and took that picture, that last picture with him. Yep. That is crazy. It's, it's the technique and a finesse, I think. Like I have had various like family members pass away, and some of them they just look like they didn't do any work, you know, like they they literally just came out of the tomb. That's how they yeah. look. It's, it's a, it is a technique. It is a lot of it is with dealing with massage and the tissue as you involve. And you've never had any type of like uh, I'm I'm guessing you have a strong stomach, but you've never had any type of uh, experience at the beginning, maybe where you were kind of like repulsive to the smells. Um, no, nothing to the smells. Like I always, even back then, always. Um, first of all, most deceased bodies that you get, um, unless because I can do six months in the morgue, that's different because you get to you seek the first of everything. 
That was the worst. I couldn't eat Pepsi and pizza for years. That's what it reminded me of. I don't know why the smell reminded me of that. But in the funeral home, most of the time, your bodies are not going to smell unless they died in water or something like that. So that is not going to um, be the case. So what bothered me, the only thing that bothered me working in the funeral home was children. So when oh. you had a dysfunction, you know, people when people don't realize this. When you're sitting down with a funeral director, they may have had a whole breakdown in the bag, but they still have to present themselves professionally in front of the family because their job is to help you to get your loved one to the grave. But sometimes your loved one is a child. And I remember having these six girls who died in a fire, and I had to be the one to run that viewing. And I could not get myself together. It was the one that I just couldn't do. And, you know, of course, the my mentor at the time, he was like, just go get home. You know, it's too much. I get it. So from that point on, I never could do children. Yeah, it must be some, some some triggers, you know, to certain people, especially if we have our own children, you know, seeing that on the bed. Well, I didn't even have my own children yet at that time. It was just something oh, about the, the reality of death being of the, so young. Uh, the, you know rea- I mean? the reality, yeah. Yeah, like, I, 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 and then some of the situations that would happen, I learned a lot of, uh, about, like, even, like, uh, stillborn, jaundice and stuff like that, working mm-hmm. in a simple home. Those, those were the first times I ever saw stuff like that. In my family, when people had miscarriages, no one talked about it. So when you actually saw a baby who was a full-term baby and you had to actually involve that baby, knowing that the mom that you're going to go sit with tomorrow mm. is the one who lost that child. Mm. You, can, you know, I'm, a, I'm still a young woman, but I'm still a woman. That was hard. So that was the hardest yeah. for me. Other than that, we used to have a good time in the funeral home, too. <laughs> would you, it, this is an honest question would you play with the bodies <laughs> so I would but let me tell you like the old schools at that time were horrible they would break us in so they would do stuff like lay in a casket so and send you in a casket room and your job was the vacuum in the casket room and someone <laughs> up, like that kind of stuff so people learned about me real fast that I say if you do that in the embalming room if you're not dead you're going to be dead because I'm going to take this stroke car and I'm going off in here like, well, <laughs> I can play all the casket games but don't play that in the embalming room but yeah it's some it's been some crazy stuff done um what I can say is one of the things that I found very remarkable is the respect of the mm-hmm. this, um how funeral like that that whole culture of respect even down to you know, we don't leave people uncovered on the table. You know, just like stuff like that. Even though it was a deceased person, like that, those were like big rules there. So it's almost like you're some sort of like death priest. Like you, you're like that person that guides them into you're, you know the afterworld. In between the deceased person who can't speak for themselves and the family members who will be speaking a whole life for them. <laughs> so you're like, oh. <laughs> like there's times that you have to say to a mother, ma'am. You do not want to present this body uncovered in front of your family. Like, you want to have a closed casket, you know, just the trauma to the body. And you have to sometimes let a mother see what she, because people can't fathom that, that this 5'3, 130 pound girl who was in a car accident now looks like she's 285 pounds from fluid. You know what I mean? They can't fathom that. So, you, it was real conversations. In fact, it's probably, where I learned most of my professional skills is 
um, if it's one time that you have to be humble, like, you know, no matter how angry you want to be, it's when you're dealing with someone that you know lost someone. You can never step into that mental space of grief to not understand or understand why a person is acting the way that they act. And people get super nasty um, when people die and money is involved. <laughs> and you're the funeral director in between <laughs> Ma'am, I don't handle that. <laughs> I just signed the signatures. But yeah, it used to get bad. Um, my very first uh, shooting before all of the shooting now was in nineteen ninety had to be nineteen ninety two. And I was working one night in a funeral home. So WH Bacon had a sister's funeral home that was like a sister ran by women and the women um was like a sister company to wh bacon so we would help them with their funerals the first time i ever saw someone actually go in and shoot up a funeral like a dead body was in 1992 so when people talk about all this stuff that's happening now it happened it just wasn't all over the news like it is now but that was in 1992 and i've never seen nothing like that in my life Wow. Yep. Was it more like a mafia rink that was doing that? or? So we, it definitely was like, you know, drug or gang related. Um, and then, you know, at that part of the time in Washington, D.C., Northwest D.C. was one of the first people who accepted a lot of immigrants into the, um, the country. So that area would be highly populated. But you know, in my experience, these was hardworking people, right? But then we also learned that at that particular point, a lot of them were doing, you know, and I like to say illegal, because sometimes people do illegal things to feed their family, you know, like this is the only choice. But you learned about a lot of the backstop through like some of the damage that started to come out when a lot of the real gangs started to get involved, like MS-13 and stuff like that. That's that. crazy how you have this this uh, whiting of, of verbiage that comes from some like the police records or, you know, you work with all of these connective agencies. Okay. So you, you're familiar with their jargon. And it's interesting because you now have a second sense of what, what's going on in the world. Maybe a, a, a step ahead. <laughs> it's a whole, I mean, not just with that, with property management. I did property management for a long time. And so we were mm. involved in a lot of, you know, undercover, you know, hey, we got to kick in this door and stuff like that. Um, and it's just that you, again, you, for me, the police and the feds and stuff like that, I've seen them do so much good. That's why it's hard for me to see anything negative. Like I know it exists, right? Um, but I've seen so many do so much good. Um, that also helped me in both of those careers, in the funeral home and in um, property management. Yeah, I, I can disagree, you know, to agree, but I've had bad experiences with cops where they tug me to the ground and just because of my skin wow. color or, or aggregation. Totally different experiences. Again, you can't, that's so why I say you can't knock other people's experiences, right? Um, you know, not I'm not the same. had some horrible experiences, you know, his, his experience is the opposite of what my experiences are, but, um, you know, that's, that's the thing. People can only live life through their experiences. But once we can do it in another person's shoes, that's where we open ourselves to other possibilities, and that's the beautiful part. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's crazy. That is insane. I've, I've always been a keen to the dark side and seeing, you know, the afterlife and, and 
what I practice with with Santeria and Yoruba. It's a uh, it's, it's very interesting to me, you know, that field because not a lot of people have the stomach, you know, to actually work with that or right. to even think about it. Like, why would I want to work with dead people? Like, well, nobody my thinks about. Never understood it. He never. He's like, Lord Jesus, like, why? But um, I, I like I said, tell everybody, it's a part of life. Death. Mm -hmm. So I think it's harder to be a nurse or a doctor because now, mm -hmm. if I'm a doctor, your life is in my hands. I don't want that. Um, <laughs> if I'm a nurse, I have to literally try to save so many lives, and that I, my girl, my some of my best friends are nurses. That is mentally draining. Um, to individuals. So in a funeral home, it was always peaceful. The worst case scenario in a funeral home is that somebody died. <laughs> you know what you did. It can't be no worse than that. When you went in there every single day, somebody died. And so nothing can get any worse than this, unless you were that somebody, as we used to say. <laughs> did you, you know, our condolences, but did you ever get to prepare any loved ones? Yeah, I did. So I was saying, I prepared my father's body. I prepared yep. my father's body. Um, I and my cousin, my cousin Michael. I did um his body as well. Yep. Oh, condolences, condolences. But that must have been an experience. Did it draw oh, any emotions? I, I think that it was therapy for me to be able to do my father's body. Oh. I didn't cry until wow after I first found out, and then until we put him in the ground. So those were. I think being the one who had to make sure everything was okay for him, like even down to they almost put him in the wrong cemetery. Talking about his siblings was arguing about where he's going to get buried. We're going to bury him with mom. I know you're not. I can walk you from where he wants to get buried. He wants to be buried right here. His father is up here on this hill. If you walk 1,300 steps up on this hill, his father is there. His father still owes him money. He wanted to be facing him, and he wanted to be next to his famous sister. That's what he said. <laughs> My father was detailed into that. We drove back and forth to North Carolina um, at the time that he was sick. Him back in the back with cancer, vomiting. So I can make uh, sure all this stuff was done correctly. I didn't have time for anything else. And I'll say to anybody, if you don't have those affairs written down, because what people don't realize is the power tripping of families. That was something that I learned from working in a funeral home. I've seen a man who was absent from his daughter's life. Her stepfather raised her. She dies. But because her mother is also deceased, and there's nothing written in the will or anything else. Her biological father, who just wasn't there, finds out she dies, come over and take over the funeral. We can no longer entertain the stepfather anymore, legally. Wow. So I that right there, I write my obituary. I let everybody know who has to speak at my funeral. They get a copy of it every year. I update it every single year. <laughs> like I am like, because of working in a funeral, I've seen some cruddy stuff. <laughs> and I said, when I die, I don't want nobody questioning why my husband is up on a plane going to Hawaii. It's written that I don't want him to see. He better not put no woman on that plane with him. I want him to go to all the places he likes. And spent all the money he needs to get his head right. He just lost his wife. And, and don't date nobody for a year. That's the only rule we got. Uh, don't <laughs> <date nobody. laughs> Poor man. Poor man. <laughs> but those are some good consequences, you know, as long as it's a year. But because, you know, some some men, 
do have their their necessities. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't care about that. I just don't want like you and love moving nobody in now. That's what I'm saying. You got you got to you got to admit we all need that love. <laughs> do you feel like there's a specific animal that you've seen in nature? And this could be something you keep or something that you see at the zoo or something that maybe doesn't even exist uh -huh. that you have some type of comparison to or you see in nature and you're like that's that's the cult the rottweiler the rottweiler the rottweiler um and what i love about the rottweiler is that they they give everybody the benefit of the doubt with reserve but once they trust you they trust you but if you ever betray that trust Ooh. let me ask are you are you a virgo no, I'm a Gemini. You're a Gemini. Ooh, I got a one year two face. They're all good and bad people in here. I, I don't hide that from anyone. <laughs> That's my daughter. She's a Gemini too. There are good and bad people living here. It's what uh, they call in uh, Yoruba imagwa, which means twins. It's a, it's a good and a bad, a yin yang. That's cool. I, and that's factual about a Gemini. I have not met a Gemini who was not like that. Like, <laughs> it's It's a good personality to have, you know, as long as it's not a disorder. <laughs> Let's get right, that checked. Exactly. exactly. As long as it can be tamed through reptiles. <laughs> <laughs> And in your your uh, keeping of animals, do you see yourself having more uh, of a connection with some of your snakes or any of your lizards? Um, definitely. So I guess it kind of go back to the Rottweiler. I tend to like the more challenging animals, like the reticulated python. And, and when I say challenging, the ones that people assume that they are be you know their behaviors are more to handle. Um, Marty takes a break. Um, my berms are great. My boas are the ones that are, um, I'm not going to say challenging, um, but if there was ever going to be an issue, it would probably be with a boa, not a retic in my house. <laughs> you know, my boas are the eaters, the real eaters, um, and they are strong. Um, but so I would say the retic and the water monitor, because the water monitor is a Gemini. <laughs> so he loves me. But he don't like, the way I'm going to say he don't like, he don't trust everybody else. So if I go in there by myself, we good. Um, if other people come in, he's hesitant. And if it's a lot of people, leave me alone. You know, like, I can go stay in here, but y'all better stay over there. Um, so I do like the big lizards, too. The tables, too. I love them, too. Both I said boas. Yep, a lot of people mistake. Don't you start there, Bosa. Don't you start it. No kitty lights. Don't you start it with that one. Anybody see my boys? If you, I have my boys out all the time. That's the right now. Like I said, two of them are actually breeding, but the um, they're out. Are they no cows or are they morphs? Um, the boas are a um pastel dream monster tail. Sharp albino, no pastel um, dream monster tail, sharp albino, and a motley jungle hypo pet sharp albino that's breeding right now. Ooh, that's got to be really white at the top of the saddle. 
So, um, but that's it. I probably, um, and I, I'm not going to say I probably dis- depend on how it goes because I don't like the thought of live birth as much as I thought I was going to like it. But um, I'm looking forward to that, you know, them, them going all the way through. Right now, we believe she's gravid, so we just waiting forever because, you know, boas take forever to actually have birth. <laughs> yeah. The smell is horrendous. It looks nasty. <laughs> Have you ever had a menudo or any type of like Hispanic like soup that has like tripe or like a type of stomach intestine? No, um, no. Um, I think the closest thing we might have had was the uh, in Antigua. What was it, the iguana soup? But I don't remember it having any like meaty stuff in it. Yeah, you gotta have some menudo, but I've I've heard it. It smells like that. Mm. Oh, no, I'm forward to it now. How how long have you started breeding boas, or did you raise them since they were ch- since they were uh, Yeah, so the the boas that I'm breeding, I had them since they were babies. I purchased them. Um, and uh, I just started breeding them. Or attempted to breed them like four months ago. It just so happened that I think that the cycles were on point with them. Yeah, I some people say that I've had even mentors tell me that it takes like four or five years for them to even try to attempt to breed because they need to get oh, the certain yeah. temperatures or dry. Yeah, um, the female is 2023. She's four, four years old. The male is just over probably about four and a half years old. Yeah, those are some, yeah, some good sized boas then. They'll oh, be ready. Right. Right. <laughs> or, or Central American blood or are they just BCIs? Um no. Um so the one, two, three are BCI. Um and uh well no, well, all four of them. All because the other one is the um their blood pythons. I mean mm, blood boas, so they are BCIs too. Ooh, is it a morph, the blood boa that you have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What morph is it? It is a um, T-Paz blood python. Mm, how old is that one? I don't that think I've seen that one. I just got them from Aussie. That's, they was born last year. So they all just, they're just about a year old. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Laya's got some, got one as well, I think. But I don't, I think this is a normal or a Sumatran. I'm not sure. But it's pretty nice, too. Yeah, you know, that's another thing. There are so many um, combos of boas. The only thing about boas compared to the retics and the ball pythons is only but so much direction you want with color. Yeah. You know, like at some point, all albinos look the same. (laughs) I like where it's heading, where the coloration is staying behind after years because you you see a boa and it, it, it. the pale color that it gets once it reaches maturity is insane. I think it's twice or double as worse as ball, ball pythons. My pastel green monster tail, his colors are vibrant. Like they, they are solid. They are solid. You, in every time you shed, is more and more vibrant. Um, I just think that at a certain point, like if you start to look at different versions of um, hypos and salmons and stuff like that, they all start to just. Blend in and look alike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
and even if you add any specific combination with it, it it doesn't really like even if you're adding motley it doesn't really break up any pattern you're just getting one straight combination it, like with all pythons your pink palette is insane <laughs> now i will tell you having a motley in her it's this very her pink pops like it's it's bold and she has all the little you know uh, saddles and saddling on her she is a really really beautiful snake so i can't wait to see what kind of baby she will produce i'm just not, i just it would tell me if i'll do it a second time how bad the mess is and how bad it stinks because one thing about ball pythons they don't smell <laughs> that's true some of these retakes they get pretty stinky you know after you give them a rabbit yeah, yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> only when they use the bathroom you know um like even like retake babies they didn't smell you know it's mm -hmm. the, it's when they get bigger now a bigger retake you can smell that you somebody used the bathroom you'd be upstairs you'd be like oh somebody used the bathroom they smell yeah. those for life that that's all the way i got you there <laughs> so you you compare yourself to a to a pit bull and that might be your totem Rottweiler. Rottweiler. Yeah, I'm not that mean. No, <laughs> <laughs> you can say you compare yourself to a Rottweiler. Yes. Because of the, the 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 type of persona you are and because you're a Gemini and all of yeah, these so components. I think, like I said with the Rottweiler, the Rottweiler is normally fun. And a, a, a Rottweiler wants you to just look. Let's just have fun. That's all I'm here for. Now, when you flip the fun and you bring in a, a dog or something else that they don't mm. trust, it becomes a totally different animal. And I always say this to my husband. My Rottweiler, he's this, he's this, he's this. But when something is coming to the house that don't belong, all of a sudden he gets tall. Like he gets real, his shoulders and everything. Like his whole stance is different. And that's me. Like if I trust and I'm and I'm comfortable. It's hee hee ha. I just want to laugh. If I don't trust or something makes me uncomfortable, it's war. Um, and that's why I relate more to the Rottweiler. Opposed to the pit bull, it's typically war first, and then you gotta back <laughs> back it back them up. No, I'm really like, okay, come on in. You know, even if I'm gonna keep it distant, um, come on in. But then when the trust is gone, then it's just. It's like I'm always on guard. Basically. See ya. <laughs> yeah. The Rottweiler is no fun at that point. <laughs> it uh, becomes a bear. The dog becomes a bear at that point. <laughs> oh yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Your personality really shows. <laughs> but it's good to be that way. You gotta be real with yourself. And and I tell that to myself, my wife sometimes too. Where she asked me, you know, why don't you let certain people into your life or why don't you talk a lot? You know, because I talk a lot with the people that I want to pick their brain and, and, and try to learn and, and grow. But why am I going to waste my time talking about beer or talking about the next football game? Like, it, it, I don't grow from that. So I'm not interested. And it's not that I'm being an asshole, but I'm just being real about it. Yeah. I mean, and I think too, like, I, like my sister is like very outgoing. So a lot of times I'm invited to places and then I am also like a, 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 a girl who fits better in with the boys. Like I'm better off with the boys than I am with a bunch of girls. Like I 
it's just always been if i go back to my childhood my best friends were boys high school boys you know i was always that um i understand male communication and i think male communication understands me better especially when i'm aggressive like they they get it like you know she just saying what she feel and there's no, no hard feelings no emotions because i don't do a lot of emotion um, at all like i'm emotional about only the things that really matter like my husband my children and, and you know things like that um but i think too for the most part for me I can only be in places where that energy is there. Like I won't even stay in the room too long specifically because my husband is going to feed off of my energy. Anyway, he already don't trust nobody. So if I don't trust either, it's definitely ain't happening. So I think that, um, I don't know. I think it's a good thing. And it's a bad thing. Cause sometimes I have, um, like, misunderstood people and held them distant too long and i should have brought them closer a little sooner but i can acknowledge that too you know what i mean like i i'm better with it with age honestly like i'm more you know let me bring the person in to really figure them out you know opposed to keeping them further away like i was when i was much younger if i'm not a people person i like i just deal with people because that's part of within it yeah I can I can really relate with you, and and I've felt that a lot when I'm like doing presentations or educational showings, and I'm like, yeah, cool, cool, let's let's continue, let's let let the other person come through. I, like I, I want to help a lot of people at the same time, but I still gotta be that that happy person to help you out. You know, I can't just shun you, be that asshole. But yeah, I've gone to that point where I need to chill out, and I'm like, okay, just zen out, bro. Like you know, just it doesn't matter what's going on, just let them talk. <laughs> Very, and I agree with you, or it could be a whole different perspective uh, because, like, it depends on, like, the person. Like, I'm not talking about, like, the person coming up to me and, and, and wanting to know info. Like, I, 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 I'll stand there all day and talk to you about it. But right. if you hold my animal and you're holding up a line of people that want to hold an animal, like, yeah, that's different, right? <laughs> that's, that's what agitates me, like, okay, bro, come on, keep it moving. Like, you can right. hold it animal that's why we have various animals and i try to take at least one lizard it's kind of difficult because higher noises do alterate either the tegus or the rhino iguanas so i i don't like taking them to the clubs but if i do take them to other events it's chill it's all kumbaya but if i do take them like to the club it's like i'm kind of sketched out to to think they're gonna bite or they're gonna react in a certain right. way yeah i wouldn't trust the tables around too much too much noise or strange people period like they they're they're on point they know right away like hey who are you um even when i take them out and i notice that if we take them out to the park and they on the ground and stuff like that they are fine with people standing around them but i never let nobody else pick them up because i never know what they might do like i never know 
And I've had them, like, you know, for some time. Now, they never bitten me, but I, you know, I know how to pick them up, too, to not get bitten. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> wouldn't know that. <laughs> and that's, that's what I do with people. Some of some of the tegus that we have, like uh, the the uh, ice tegu, he's a male, two thousand twenty, two thousand nineteen, and he's a just a lazy guy. Like he could just sit down somewhere, like at the club, and just lay there all night, not even open one eye. People touching him and holding him, and he's all relaxed. But if I take some of my females, as soon as the sunlight hits them, it's like it's game over. Like somebody's gonna get bit, or they're running down the street. <laughs> yeah. Well, I noticed that the female is a lot more cooler when the male is still down, because they never come up at the exact same time. They never go down at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. But when the male comes up, she all of a sudden, so you have to start watching her too, because <laughs> like, she can get moody. Yep. Yep. Now the males have never gotten moody with me. It's the females that over yeah. or they they do that jump. They lunge at yeah. you. Where'd yeah. that come from? <laughs> Especially when you go on the feet. Like we literally we look down before we put our food down because if she's anywhere around, she would try to like knock the food out your hand. Where the male was literally he'll wait unless you throw something at him. Otherwise, he'll just wait until you put the food down. No, not her. You gotta watch where she is because she'll literally like jump up and try to knock it. The plate down. It's she is something, but they they I love them. They are fun pets to have, especially when they have really good days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, that is for sure. What is your favorite animal out of the kingdom of the 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 animal kingdom? So I have to break that down. My absolute favorite animal, like my favorite pet. It is my um, ball python. Um, I have a spider ball python. He was a, a, one of my first pets, Dizzy. That's my heart. Like, we have a special bond. But my favorite species of animal by far is the reticulated python. Just hands down. I can't even compare um, the love I have for them compared to any other species. It's insane to have these animals. They're giants, you know, and not a lot of the keepers realize that they have a living giant inside of their home. They that are means... um, huge giants, um, definitely, but gentle giants. Yeah. Um, they are the most, like, even handling them, like I was saying to people, they help me. They know when it's too much, I, let me help myself get over her shoulder you know or let me come out my enclosure and help her get out like they know that and but with that same intelligence you have to always keep in mind that they can use it the, the flip side you know the, the flip way um i just always try to keep mine on the side of loving to be around not just me but humans in general like even you know my husband and my my, my son and my grandkids and stuff like that so we'll always be a good spot spot of their day like right now we sitting here they're literally just sitting here looking at me like are you know are you are we coming out to be a part of this you know um but i wouldn't trade having them at all but i also don't have more than i can handle because i think that is the downfall to having reticulated pythons which is the reason why i don't have intentions to breed them you know like the ball pythons 
Yeah, it takes a lot. I, I, we only have two, one male and one female. I had two smaller uh, males, but I ended up selling them last year. But they were, they were dwarfs. But I wanted to get into the super dwarf game. But at this point, I was like, no, I, I need to focus on those two that we have and just keep them as how they are. Because I have one dwarf that's eight years old. And he was a retired educational showing like for schools and here at TUSD. So he did that, all that line work in the, the beginning parts of his life for four years. And then when I got him, which was about three years ago, he was really, really skinny. Like if they were malnourishing him, but to be four years, he was just very, very thin and bone thin from his cheeks. You know, he was just very malnourished within like a couple months. He gained, I want to say, about 13 pounds just within a couple months. And it wow. was just giving him normal feed, you know, every two weeks, not missing a meal. But it's insane that just to see that dwarf, you know, grow just because you're feeding it right. And some people think that it's okay to feed him a medium mouse every month. And it's not. You just got to right. do your research. <laughs> yeah, I'm... And I, I mean, even with that, like none of mine are exactly the same. None of them. Um, now, I would say, far as the, the three biggest, their cycles are almost the same. But far as personality, not the same at all. I don't have one reticulated python here with the same exact personality. Like I actually have one who is good. Like if I never like just took her out the enclosure. All the other ones, you can open the door, they're coming out. Even if you, like, leave her door, her door open at night when all, everything is closed, she's not coming out of her enclosure. She happens to love it. So that's why when people <laughs> be talking about, like, you know, reticulated pythons need these whole rooms, some. Like, I have a couple that will be good in the whole entire room. Those are the ones that y'all see all over the cabinets and stuff like that. They take over the house. But then I have others who won't go past here. Then I have others who, like I said, her, you can leave that door open at night. She's not coming out. She will even <laughs> come to the side and sit like that. But she will not cross that threshold unless you reach in there and get out. <laughs> I don't know. I can't explain it. Um, why she's the only one like that. She was raised in the same home. I raised her from the same infancy. I don't know. But she's good in her enclosure. Happy and content in her enclosure. <laughs> You know, if, he, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But yeah, some mean, of these animals live in these small areas. Yeah, we take out enough to keep her used to us being, you know, touching her and stuff like that. But unlike the other ones, we come down, because you talk about one of the routines, we open these doors every single day. They come out if they want to come out. If they don't, when we finish cooking breakfast or whatever we're doing, we close the door back. Most of them is coming out in the first five minutes. You can keep her ass open all day and she will not walk. She will walk. She will not crawl out there. <laughs> it's crazy, but they're really smart. A lot of people yeah. underestimate these things, you know, where they get yeah. to the point where they know who you are, your vibration. There's certain people they don't like and they start tensing up. I've had that happen where it's either a child or some, some of my snakes just don't like kids or they don't like elder people. It just depends on the personality. And that's something, that's a good point to make. So someone asked me, because my granddaughter is good with all the snakes. Um, I don't let her open up any enclosures that she's the same height of. If it's below her, I'll let her open them. 
because I noticed with children, it's something about them being that same height. Even when they're in their enclosures, they will watch the child way more than they will watch me or you, anybody else who's tall. And I think it has something to do with why are you right here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're right here and they will watch. So that's something that, again, we talk about personality-wise. You notice those type of things when you're raising them up. I fear when people buy big animals and they place them around their children. Because if you didn't raise that animal up, you never notice that that particular one doesn't really like things eye level with them. And not about eating the child, just being defensive, it will be my concern that it's bothered by the child. Um, and then you have others um, that, regardless of how big they are, they just know how to maneuver that stuff with my um, grandchildren, you know. Um, but you know, you'll see some, you'll see them with a few of them all the time, and then some that you'll never see them with, simply because I notice how they are definitely more alert, and you know, and you want your retake to be relaxed most of the time. Yeah, it's crazy how the the the, the change into meters. I want to say like they're they're almost like a mixture of a colubrid and a python, a retic. You know, because a colubrid is really smart. They have yeah, that inquisitiveness. It's really smart. You saw full response. Uh, that corn snake has a super duper. He right now. He smells food. He's coming out like he instant. He's like the boas. He's on it. Like, are you feeding me? Are you feeding me? I totally agree. And how colubrids move. We, you know, retics are bigger, but they kind of move the same way. Yeah. Yeah, I think retics are a different species. They're 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 insane. Burmese are they're still awesome though. I still prefer Burmese <laughs> and retics. I'm just sitting here looking at her right now, like girl. <laughs> yeah, she. Um, I don't know. They they are awesome. I I think I love the extreme activeness of the reticulated python. Like they crack me up some of the things that they do or, or figure out, you know, always using that tongue to figure something out and then, oh, I can get up here, you know, oh, I'm this big, I can get this taller. Like how they start to figure out how big they actually are and start finding themselves standing straight up against cabinets and stuff like that. And I just sit there and watch sometimes and like, let me see what you want to do. Oh my goodness, you can pull all your body up like that. That amazes me. It amazes it's insane. Me. It's almost therapeutic. Like, you know how people like staring at satisfying figures or just movements? I think yep. it's almost like the same thing. It's like a sensation you could. Do you happen to have any superstitions or any uh, daily practices that you do on your own? Maybe like wear a special pair of underwear or a shirt. I've never had I any type of. Never been superstitious, so I don't have any. Like I'm a really whatever happens happens type of person. <laughs> um, I do believe in karma. I do believe good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Um, I think that's just you know what spiritual order is um you know that's why you know we are encouraged to do good as best as we can but um i don't like have any superstitions at all that's that's good to hear sometimes you do hear the contrary words like i practice this religion or i do this because a lot of people tend to connect that to your religion you know having a superstition or a belief and that's cool because that's not in the connection then you believe in a higher power but you still don't believe in having this connection with right i 
I mean, the I, object I, I world. That we are somewhat responsible for our own our own fate too. You know, I truly believe that we have the God gave us a mind to use it. You know, type of thing. So, someone's late. Way late, but we ain't gonna talk about them. <laughs> Thank you for joining, brother. <laughs> yeah, so Burmese are are pretty insane, Andre. Oh, boo! And that's right. He just so happy to come in right then too, George. Right? Like he was that moment. <laughs> no, he was actually live on IG. I was on his live before I got on here. Oh, really? Yeah, he was cleaning the animals at the shop. So I oh, understand. Man. I'm not going to be mad at him. I'm going to persecute him tonight. I will tomorrow. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> he said the hate is real. <laughs> Do you happen to have any spiritual connection that you've ever made with an animal or a human? It could be a loved one or maybe just a friend or a parent. So this is for real. On my, So I... I don't know if everybody believes this, so but every you know, I've always been told that a butterfly is fine that a person who passed along that you really love is trying to communicate with you. So on my birthday, my 50th birth birthday, the day before I cried so hard for my father, because 50 was a big milestone, and me and my father, he was big on birthdays. And so that morning we had went down to the water. Like I love some it's there is some type of spiritual connection with me in water. I don't care where the water is, as long as it's not stinky water, it's a spiritual connection. That's one of my favorite parts about the Caribbean. Like Antigua has some of the coolest, calmest water, and I can just go down 15 feet and the, to see white sand and just be in heaven for hours. Like my husband would be like, where's they, they be like, where's your wife? She's still in the water. I can be in it. <laughs> And so um, I would say butterflies. And so on that day, I had on this yellow and green dress. My husband said, look, out of nowhere, this yellow and green butterfly just started floating around my head, floating around my head. And I had just told my husband what I thought about butterflies. This butterfly came out of nowhere. And I, it just went away. And I just said that was my father. I told my husband, like I felt it, I'm like that was my father. Like I don't know. Some avatar shit. You're Navi. <laughs> like that was my father. I don't know why God said you can just go on there just long enough to let her know that is you and then get back up here. But that's how I sing because the butterfly just went. It just went. My husband sat there and watched it. I said, Did you see that? I text my mother. I'm like, Mom, sitting here, boo, 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 boo. like it was crazy. That has to be some type of spiritual connection. I think. Oh, definitely. Like it, it, like I said, even just like how you just have conversation, and you know, we were just talking about that, and then this butterfly show up. Crazy. That is insane. That is insane. Yeah, that is the uh, spiritual connection. Might be a spirit animal, maybe a, a spirit insect. <laughs> yep, maybe an insect. <laughs> Nicole, do you utilize any sales tax tactics in your business or any type of marketing that you try to sell your snakes through or maybe it's just word of mouth? Um, I would say I definitely use wolf market, but that's not my first. So I believe in using social media in, in like even before I did my business, 
even in property management, that was something that was really, really big. As much as I hated social media, we had to use it. <laughs> but it, it, it was the best way to market across the nation, you know? So I still do it that way. Most of my leads come from somebody seeing a picture that I posted of my animals on Instagram or on TikTok. It might still end up on most market, but, you know, that's where they see the animal first. Well, that's a good tactic. It's a good place to sell. There's a lot of marketing and you have the reptile community to support you too. Yeah. And we're currently, my husband is working on, we want to build our own um, West website. Um, so we're currently working on that. That's his thing. So behind the scenes is him always just like thinking, you know, you should have this, like this thing behind my head that everybody loves. That was him a uh, year or so ago saying, Hey, I've seen this. I'm getting it for you. When you see it, you're going to love it. Oh, okay. And then this shows up. Um, when I create my shirts, all kinds of things. He's really big on that part. Um, he's My husband, is a, he, he loves fashion. So he's really good with that kind of stuff. That's good to have your backbone there, your husband. Yeah. It's, uh, I can't do none of this without him. Like, none of it. None of it, it, it especially to Shout say to the hubby. I'm giving up this, you know, job and, and, and you know, we're going to I'm going to focus on my dream and, you know, him holding us down to a whole nother level. Like I said, you know, you when you say I'm giving this up, those savings have to last for the rest of your life because you can't guarantee that you're going to make X, Y, Z dollars a month from sales and stuff like that. So we just always wanted to be comfortable and I could not be a hundred percent comfortable if it wasn't for him. Yeah. That's good. That's good. You get well at least we have a partner that is in support, you know, a lot of our partners go through a lot of shit, especially with, you know, having all these animals to support and it's it's not a normal life for a lot of people. You know, we have other <laughs> mouths to feed. Yeah, I mean, that's cool for him. Um, you know, it's just that, well, I know for him, it's whatever makes me happy. Um, that's, you know, within reason. He doesn't do much for himself. He doesn't want much for himself. It's always been about, like, everybody else around him. But when it comes to us, it's literally, like, the simple things he does that make me smile. And that's the thing. Like, I'm not... Being a woman who was a single mom for many years, like I'm not that woman who need money to get my nails done or need you to buy me a car or anything like that. Like those things I could always done for myself. So to have somebody who figured you out to the point to fill all those voids that you can't fill for yourself, like those deep down things that you wish someone did for you. And he will listen to like a simple word that I said five years ago, 10 years ago, and then on this very special birthday or this very special anniversary, this happens. And you like, remember, and he's like, no, when you say blah, 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 blah. He don't have to say that because I can remember that very moment. It's amazing that you remembered <laughs> <laughs> all of these years. Um, so he fills in, um, like he gets to that better part of me. Um, if there's anything that makes me sensitive or make me Overly and abundantly appreciative is I have, like, in my world, the best man on earth. And I know other women feel that same way, but no, I really do. I don't have a husband <laughs> like a freak. He's home all the time. Um, 
we even though we can be in the house and don't see each other for 10 12 hours in the same house because his man came in this space and my upstairs and these animals are mine um it's so cool like we can sometimes bump into each other in the kitchen you know and it's just like seeing your little boyfriend in the kitchen like hey babe you know and then we still go into other parts of the house so it's not like we're together all the time but we're not running the streets if that makes sense <laughs> You guys are uh, like uh, Harley Quinn and the Joker. <laughs> well, that might be another spiritual connection there because if somebody can understand you to that level, it's because oh, they. I know. So the day I met him, I knew um, the story. I was literally on the phone with one of my best friends at that time who it was, she was divorcing her husband after nine years. And we were on the phone because I was single. I was always the one who was just out there doing whatever we wanted. I was happy. She was finally coming to the other side. And then we were planning this bachelorette life, these vacations and all of that. And I got to a light at this road called, Old, it was Old Court and Ryan's Road. And I looked a lap and I got bad eyes. I need these glasses. If I don't have them on, I got them contacts. I could see the waves on my husband's head. And I said, it was like this glow was on him. And I said to my girlfriend, she told him the day that we got married, she told him, she said, she's, we were on their phone. The day she laid eyes on you and said, girl, I got to go. I just met my husband. And we had never parted from that moment on. He walked into the street right in front of my car. And it was that from that. <laughs> wow. Definitely spiritual. <laughs> no denying. And even when I look at the woman that I become, like I tell people all the time, the women, the woman y'all see me now is not the woman I was before him. Like he made me so much better from the inside out. I would not be this quality of a woman that I am if it wasn't for meeting that, meeting that man. So wow. I, and I know that. I know that. That's so hard to hear. <laughs> That's so hard to hear, you know, from some. From some people, from some perspective, at least in this generation, you know, because a lot of a lot of women tend to play that alpha male, or you know, it, it's not it's not cute. It, it's it's all I right. You know, I, I, I run everything else, but when they he can look at me, he's the one person that don't like my father. My father had that power. My husband can look at me, so I make jokes with him. Like I can tell when he's extremely happy because I see all six dimples. If he's uh, I only get half. If he's like, I'm just acknowledging it, I only get one, two, one and a half. But when he's mad, he can just look at me. It's the way his nose flare. And I feel like a little girl. I just want to go run and hide. Like, I don't know how to say nothing. <laughs> nothing. Like, it's because he's not a hollering man. He's not a man who's going to raise his voice. The power is in. The way I, the way he moves, like the way he he's so real to me. I I can go on all day. We can talk about him forever. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> well, his name? He's not available. You said right. His name, his name is his name is Gavin, but everybody we call him Slim. Slim. Also, that's what Bo Bosa's talking about. Slim is oh, yeah. one. <laughs> So I have a couple of questions here. The last three questions I wanted to ask you, which are simple, short questions. Uh, what, what is your favorite animal you keep in your collection? The retics. Mm -hmm. and, and your favorite genre of music? Reggae. Reggae. Yeah, definitely reggae. Reggae, soca, anything Caribbean. 
Yeah, we need to go to the shows and, and go dancing for sure. Yes. <laughs> 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 Some cumbias. <laughs> well, we figured, out, we figured that, 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 that you're a, a good Rottweiler dancer, and we're going to see if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, the last of our questions. It was a pleasure speaking to you tonight. Do you have any questions for us? That was fun. Thank you so much. Definitely, I love the fact that it wasn't like the typical uh, reptile type of podcast. We talked about everything, and definitely, your people have seen things and will hear things that I haven't said on other podcasts because no one has ever asked those questions. It's because everybody wants to stick to the reptile format, but you know you got you, you got to spice it up. I want to know about your life. I want to know where you came from. <laughs> that was deep. Like uh, Elias learned something new. Um, yeah, it, it definitely. I felt like this was a really good one, and it kind of like went into the whole spirit animal thing. So I really enjoyed it. Oh, I appreciate that. We really appreciate that. It was yeah. a pleasure having you on. Maybe you can get the hubby on next time. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Nicole, please stay with me on here behind the scenes. Yes. I'm going to go ahead and close it out, and I'll be right back on the line here with you. Yes.